Hello, everyone, and welcome to Order Up, the podcast from the National Restaurant Association. I'm your host, Carly McBride. Today's episode of Order Up features a re-release of a very important and successful episode from earlier this year. Back in February, we featured James Fripp, Chief Equity and Inclusion Officer for Yum! Brands Incorporated. James discussed diversity, inclusion, and how to build trust and authentic relationships in the workplace. As we've recently released our landmark research, DEI Report on the Restaurant Industry, this discussion is particularly relevant today. So have a listen and be sure to check out the show notes for links related to this research and how you can start today to make a meaningful change in your workplace. James, thank you for taking some time to chat with us today. So let's get started. Can you take a quick moment and introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about your background? Sure. And uh, thank you for the invite and thank you for having me. Just uh, by virtue of a quick intro, my name again is James Fripp. I'm the Chief Equity Inclusion Officer for Young Brands and have been with the organization for a lot of years and done a lot of great things. In terms of my background, I actually started for us in a beautiful place called Omaha, Nebraska. Um, don't judge anyone, but um, Omaha, Nebraska, which is uh, where actually the president went on 9-11. And there's a great Air Force base there, of which my father was in the Air Force, and that's how I got there. I'm one of eight kids. My father was an enlisted guy in the military. And uh, effectively, well, all that means is that we didn't have a lot of money. I was not born with the silver spoon. We had to earn everything we did. But the reality of it is, I didn't know that we didn't have a lot of money and it didn't feel that way. Being one of those eight kids, they all made us feel great. And um, from a work perspective, I literally was um, bagging groceries at the Air Force Base and making some pocket money. And um, uh, I needed to get a job as a result of a class called DECA, Distributive Education Club of America, or co-op, some might know it as, where you have to have a job in order to get your credits, your school credits. And my sister worked at Taco Bell. And I said, hey, look, sister, can you help me out? And um, she got me a job there. And I knew I was going to be there for a year or two and then on to greater things. And here I am many, many, many years later. So um, it's been a great ride, done a lot of things, had a lot of fun and still having fun today. So that's a little bit about my background. Great. Thank you. I've been to Omaha, Nebraska several times, and I think it's a really fun town. It really is. So, James, tell us a bit more about what got you started in the industry. You said that you talked to your sister about working at Taco Bell. What made you want to get into that and what has kept you there long term? Initially, what got me there was I needed to get a job in order to get my school credits. And it was it seemed to be something that I could pick up on really quickly, something that I could be good at. And quite honestly, it was somewhere where a lot of my friends worked. And so I was like, okay, great. So let me go have some fun and hang out and make some money and get my school credits. And so that's what I did. And what has kept me there all these many years later is number one, I haven't stopped having fun yet. Number two, I haven't stopped growing yet. I literally started outside picking up trash and worked my way into the building and then worked my way to, you know, making the food, then being an hourly manager and then being an assistant manager, then a general manager and, and then a training manager. And, and then I traveled and opened restaurants for the company. And, and then I got into talent acquisition and my career just continued to grow. And now we're, I'm, I sit here in this global role. And so what's kept me here long term is. I'm still continuing to grow. I'm still continuing to enjoy it. I love the culture of our organization. In fact, if our culture wasn't what it is, which is everybody is heard, valued, and understood, and we leverage all your skill sets from whatever part of the business you come from, 
if it wasn't for that opportunity to grow in all those different ways, I probably wouldn't stay, but I'm still here today as a result. That's wonderful. So you've had quite a path of growth within this industry. So tell me about some challenges that you've faced along this path to the successful place you are now. Sure. Some of the challenges along the way are ones that are uh, what I would call self-inflicted. And then others are based upon assumptions and observations and stereotypes. And so I'll just kind of talk through those a little bit from a I don't know, from a self-imposed issue, as I grew up in the business and learning as I went and learned the different functions of the business, sometimes, you you know, I felt that I wasn't qualified. I felt like I didn't know what I needed to know, didn't have the skill sets, especially when we get into P&L management and, and understanding holistically how the business work, you know, and, and inventory and labor and all those kinds of things. As I was learning those things, sometimes I may not have felt as qualified as I thought I could or should be. And then other things that came up with people made assumptions about me, you know, coming from the, you know, the beginnings of the lowest opportunities or the earliest parts of the business outside, picking up trash, coming into the building and things of that nature. I think there were assumptions made that I wouldn't be able to achieve the things that I have because of where I started. And so I think for some folks, that was a barrier, but for other folks, that was inspiring. Some other leaders that said, hey, look, if you can do this, this would be a great story. And they helped me grow. So um, so I think some of it was assumptions. Some of it was imposter syndrome, depending upon what level of the organization I was in. And so those were some of the challenges that I ran into. And then to be brutally honest with you, one of the challenges I ran into was this whole notion of vision, vision issues, vision being I didn't see anyone who looked like me in certain parts of the organization. So I didn't think I could be it. And so I think the vision issue of not seeing people who look like you in different roles and different levels, you know, was a little bit of a barrier as well. But there was, you know, those were just some of the challenges. But um, what you might hear me say from time to time is you have to outwit, outsmart, outplay. So whenever I saw those challenges or had those challenges be a part of, the work that I was doing or the experiences that I was having, my mindset is, okay, great. Therein lies a challenge, but how do you outwit it? How do you outsmart it? How do you outplay it? So you can still continue to move forward. So uh, that's a little bit about uh, some of the challenges that I ran into. Those are some great tips. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit more specifically about your role with Yum Brands? What programs have you and your team put in place to ensure inclusion within the workplace? Sure. Well, the role holistically is, again, Chief Equity and Inclusion Officer. It's a global role. And I think it's probably one of the more difficult roles, at least as I think about it, in the organization, but also just in this moment in time and what's going on both domestically and around the globe as it pertains to race relations and diversity holistically, uh, equity and inclusion, and those kinds of things. Um, You know, we can't forget what took place with George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and uh, Rayshard Brooks and, and, and many others, to be honest with you. And so the job in and of itself is, is really, really interesting in that, first and foremost, when people think about equity, inclusion and belonging, which is what we call it in the organization, they don't necessarily connect it to the business they connect it to how they may feel about different demographics or or they connect it to things like quota systems and things like that, but they don't connect the space to the business. And the reality of it is equity, inclusion, belonging is a key part of the business, not only in the context of what our talent looks like at the restaurant level, 
who are our customers. But in terms of how do you be and remain relevant in this business today? And so, so the job is, is, is very, very, can at times be very ambiguous, can be very polarizing for some. And quite honestly, people, some people struggle to understand, you know, is this just a nice to do or trying to check a box or is there some real value in this work? And so that's a little bit about, you know, the, the job in and of itself. But in terms of what do we do on a day-to-day basis, at the end of the day, we're trying to make sure that everybody in the organization from our newest employee at the restaurant level to our most senior leader, that everybody feels heard, valued, and understood, and that we create an environment where people feel included and feel like they And then finally is this whole notion of making sure as we go on this path in this journey around equity, inclusion, and belonging, that we do so in such a way that we bring everybody on the journey. When people talk about this work, a lot of times it's, it's, it can be divisive or sound and, and, and look divisive. Here at Yum, our goal is to, how do we bring everybody on this journey and, and make people understand that this is actually not a zero-sum game, meaning somebody doesn't have to lose for somebody else to win. In fact, in this day and age, when we're talking about staffing, when we're talking about do we have enough people, can we get done what we want to, we don't need some people at the table. We need all people at the table at all levels of the organization. For us, we talk about being red, relevant, easy, and distinctive. In order for us to be relevant, easy, and distinctive, we have to have all perspectives, all ideas, and, and all to make sure that we innovate, all make sure that we connect with, all make sure that we're all representative and that we all, that everyone understands that everybody has value in this enterprise and everybody has value in this work. So that's the job in and of itself. Some of what happens in the job is we have folks who are, when we set goals, when we talk about what we're trying to accomplish uh, for us here in the United States, we talk about uh, we want to be better at our representation as it pertains to underrepresented people of color. For us here in the United States, that is primarily we're underrepresented in our corporate ranks as it pertains to um, African-Americans and Hispanic Latino. So what we want to do is make sure that everybody knows that they have a seat. So if you're a majority member and you hear us say that we are focused on these two groups, you may feel like there's not a place for, for you at the table. And the reality of it is, oh, no, not only is there places for you at the table, we need you at the table because we need to be able to bounce ideas off of. We need to be able to get insights. We need to be able to get to our best outcome by virtue of having robust discussions that bring different perspectives to the table, not some perspectives, but all perspectives to the table. And so everybody has a seat at the table. Everybody has a place. And as a result of that, if we do this right, then we become more relevant, more easy and distinctive than our competitors. We create a culture in our organization, not for some people, but for everybody, where we're able to attract the best talent. When you do that, you have better sales. When you have better sales, you need more people. When you need more people, there's opportunity for everybody. And so that's the mindset. That's where we're trying to take this work called equity, inclusion, belonging here at Yum. And, uh, you know, as we as we go through the process, there's a number of things that we do. So your question was, what programs, you know, and have our has our team put in place? Well, we have things like uh, employee resource groups and uh, we do it a little bit differently. In many cases, you know, in, in typical employee resource groups, you'll have 
resource groups almost by ethnicity. So Hispanic Latino, um, we'll have uh, African-American or black, then we'll have a women's group and, and those kinds of things. What we've chosen to do is to have, we do have women's groups and we have young professionals groups. But when we talk about Asian or Hispanic or black, we've done multicultural groups. And the purpose and the thought process behind having that multicultural group is when any of those demographics, black, Hispanic, Asian, any other underrepresented demographics, when we get in leadership roles, we're not going to be leading everybody who looks like us. We're going to be leading all types of people. And so while we may be underrepresented in those roles today, by bringing us together in our employee resource groups, it causes us, number one, to influence, network with, and inspire and support all types of different demographics to achieve the same goal. An example would be when we talked about going to multicultural ERGs, one individual asked me, they said, James, you know, as a, as a black individual, you know, um, our Hispanic brothers and sisters are not like, not exactly like us. They may not have the same issues. Our Asian brothers and sisters may not have the same issues. And so, you know, this multicultural thing, I don't know if it's really going to work. And the thinking is, okay, great. So I hear you. When you get into that leadership role and you have to engage with all these groups, what are you going to do? How are you going to know how to engage these groups? Well, James, their problems are different than our problems are. Okay, great. So when the ERG figure out and find out what those issues are and figure out how to solve them together as a multicultural group, you build allyship, you build relationships, you build your own personal capability and skill set. So as you go up in the organization and get into leadership roles, you don't have to learn how to do those things now. You've got that as a result of being in your employee resource group where uh, it's all about influence. It's all about truly building relationships and it's all about coming to a common goal and going after it regardless of who you are. And so that's one thing that we've done from a women's perspective. We've set up these groups called uh, Lead Hership. And uh, this gives our folks an opportunity to um, pay it forward. And a good partner in the business with me, Megan Barrett, she leads that work. And we, we specifically bring women together and then ask them to pay it forward, lead it forward with, um, with other women throughout the organization. We have inclusive leadership training. Well, I said training. We have inclusive leadership experiences. It's not training. What we want you to do is we want you to have an experience where you feel something because when people feel something, that's when they change. And this is the form of bias awareness. And what do you do about it? And we are rolling this out globally. And the feedback that we were, we're getting um, as we roll this out has been very, very positive. In some cases, there's tears, lots of sharing. But what we're getting to is having people see people as just that people, not underrepresented minorities, not um, that group or that group. We're getting people to see people as people and go through an experience together. When you go through something together, it creates camaraderie. It creates authentic relationships that lead to trust. And I personally believe that that's the key to all of this equity, inclusion, belonging work is authentic relationships that lead to trust. Um, let me just give you a couple more that um, I think are really, really helpful for us anyway. I have a great partner that I work with. Her name is Catalina Romero. Catalina Romero, and she has put together something called Gracious Host Dinners. And these Gracious Host Dinners are an opportunity for folks who are, for folks to experience each other in different ways. So I actually was a host. And what we did was we had dinner at my home 
And there were a group of six folks that were invited to my home that did not look like me. And they came uh, to my house. We had dinner with my family and we talked about what it's like um, to be for me to be an African-American male. And um, in my particular situation, I'm in a biracial marriage. And so, you know, my my boys are, are biracial. And so what does that mean? What's it like? And um, all the folks who attended learned about me and my family. And we had an opportunity to talk about life in a biracial family. Um, that is something different than any of them have experienced. And they had great questions and insights. And as a result of that, our relationship back in the workplace is different than it's ever been. But that's uh, one program that's been working very, very well for us now in the context of COVID. You're like, James, how do you do that? Uh, but you can do these things virtually as well. I prefer them to be in person. We'll get back to that at some point in time. But now, uh, right now, they still work virtually as well. And the last thing I'll share with you is this notion of reverse mentorships. And um, there's a great young lady. Her name is Brittany Pride. She's done some great work around uh, reverse mentorships. And what this does is it gives an opportunity for us to have our senior leaders be mentored by a junior person who is different than who they are. So in, in Brittany's case, uh, she's an African-American female. She was mentoring the chief people officer of one of our brands. He is a British gentleman and his job, by definition, his job in the reverse mentorship was to learn about who she is, get to know her, learn about her experiences, what it's like to be an African-American female in our organization and indeed in the world. And what does that mean? And what are some of the trials and tribulations? And then naturally what took place is they started to build an authentic relationship that led to trust, but he also gave her coaching and mentoring along the way as well. But what we did was we allowed him as the leader to be free of trying to impart knowledge as much as trying to receive knowledge and insights to build those relationships. And as a result of that, Brittany has not a mentor in James, but she has a sponsor. And that's different because when you're mentored, people give you coaching and feedback and send you on your way. When you're sponsored, when opportunities come up, that person speaks up on your behalf. And that's exactly what's happening, what has happened with Brittany and James. And so a lot of good coming out of those. So some those are some of the some of the actions that were taken in our organization. That is a tremendous amount of impactful work that you are doing. So big kudos to you and your team. Those programs all sound really, really fantastic. My next question was going to be, what success have you seen from those programs? I feel like you've pretty much already touched on that and how you've implemented them and how they've become really successful across the board for your, your people, regardless of where they come from or who they are or where they're going, they, they're seen and heard in your organization. So I'll go to my next question. What advice would you give to restaurant owners and managers as they work to develop a more diverse and inclusive workplace? Yes. Um, if we've learned anything about our best performers and those who run the best restaurants for us and in the, in the above restaurant or the corporate environment, those who see the most success, what we've learned from them is that they've created this family-like environment where people really truly do feel like they belong. I guess the saying is uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And our best performers, whether it's above restaurant or in the restaurant, are those who create that environment where all of their people know that they truly do care about them. And what that looks like is 
our best performers, they would say, you know, James, and the question is, you know, how do you, how do you create that environment? And a lot of times they're like, I don't know. We don't know what we do. We just, we just treat people like family. So what does that look like? Well, when someone graduates high school, you know, we recognize that when someone hits a milestone in their life, we recognize that, you know, when something is important to someone, we make sure that we highlight those things. And then we just take care of those folks. Other times it's when people are struggling, we're there for them and we make sure that they know that we're there from them and, and, and we take care of that. You know, I talked about reverse mentorships and, and things of that nature where people have permission to just get to know each other as people, create those environments where you can. You know, other things that we can do is for us at Yum, we have what we call an E&I commitment and equity and inclusion commitment where our people, especially at the above restaurant level, they make a commitment around what they're going to do to have a positive impact on equity and inclusion in our organization. And we give some ideas. You can go out to a community center to a, uh, a demographic that's different than yours and help support that demographic. You can get your team together and go support a community that may be different than yours. You can literally take the implicit association test so you can kind of see where, you know, where might my biases be and then learn how to navigate those. So we give some examples of what you can do around those those uh, typical ideas. But, but the biggest thing is just literally creating that family environment. And I guess the term that I like to use the most is treat people like you would those who you invite to your home. And, um, and oh, by the way, um, as you think about that and think about who's not at your table, look around at your customers. Is there customers in your restaurant that you don't have any of those employees in your restaurant? Are there employees that may speak a different language? that uh, everybody um, talks uh, to everybody else, but not them. Make sure you include them. If someone's being excluded, it's kind of a see something, say something. Make sure you recognize people, create space for people. If someone's not being heard, if someone is being talked over, if we're having a meeting and this person has not said a word the entire meeting, create space for them. Hey, did you have a perspective on this? Hey, it looked like you were about to say something. Just small gestures like that, um, I think, will will at least go a long way in terms of my experience. Very good. So what's coming down the pike for Yum! Brands? You have a ton on the plate right now, so to speak. But what's coming up with your focus on diversity? Are there other initiatives that you are working on right now? Yes, yes. Uh, from a strategic perspective, a lot of times people think about, you know, okay, great. So, so James you and those who do the work like you do in, in the enterprise, equity, inclusion, belonging is your work. That's what you do. So if someone says, hey, look, what are we doing about supplier diversity? You know, like, I don't know, what is James doing? You know, what are we doing about, you know, this in marketing? I don't know, what is James doing? So what's coming down the pike for us is this whole notion of embedding equity, inclusion, and belonging in every aspect of the business and democratizing accountability for those types of uh, for equity, inclusion, belonging in the different parts of the business. So meaning if we're thinking about it from a people perspective and in each of our brands, we have chief people officers and uh, head, you know, uh, CHROs. Those CHROs are responsible for equity, inclusion, belonging or the people side of the business. And so that becomes their work from a supplier diversity. Whoever is responsible for supply chains, equity, inclusion, belonging or supplier diversity becomes a part of their work and a part of their accountability in terms of what they do. From a marketing perspective, 
equity inclusive belonging what are we doing to make sure that we are equitable in marketing whether that's in front of the camera behind the camera with our marketing and all those types of things our commercials and all of that and so we really start to democratize ownership of equity inclusion and belonging and embed it in all that we do in every aspect of the business and so equity inclusion belonging is not james's job equity inclusion belonging is every leader's job and in fact every person's job regardless of the seat that you sit in. So that's where we're headed. That's what's coming down the pike for us and embedding in every single part of our, our leadership development frameworks. We have some amazing frameworks that we teach our leadership and just embedding all of this work in there and having different call outs. We have a great partner program called Heart Styles. And it's basically about this whole notion of being a heart led leader and in that, we are embedding equity, inclusion, belonging in that framework as well. And so um, so that's where we're headed, because our belief is the results do need to be measured in equity, inclusion, belonging. There's no ifs, ands or buts. You have to have a measurement because you have to know, are we making any progress? But what we also know is the measurement is an indicator and an outcome of the culture of the organization. And so our job my role, our equity, inclusion, belonging leaders, and all of our leaders across the enterprise as we democratize accountability for equity, inclusion, belonging, is to make sure that equity, inclusion, belonging is alive throughout our culture, not some days, not on certain days, but every day. James, you clearly have so much going on right now, and I know how valuable your time is. And I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today about the amazing work that you're doing at Yum Brands. So as we close out, is there anything that you'd like our listeners to know about the work that you're doing? Oh, thank you for that question. I think the biggest thing is equity, inclusion, belonging is not a zero-sum game. It's not. Someone doesn't have to lose or somebody else wins. And once we get past that mindset, then I think it opens the doors for us to build those authentic relationships that lead to trust, that help us become more relevant, easy and distinctive, that help us then produce better results. So we have more of a need for more people. This is not something that someone has to lose. And once we get past that mindset, once we get past that barrier, great things happen. They happen to your culture. That happen to your ability to attract talent, retain talent, and it happens to have a great impact on your business holistically. So that's what I would say. Uh, don't underestimate the power of equity, inclusion, belonging in your organization. If you do, you may end up irrelevant. James, thank you again for your time. You have so much going on, and we're so thankful that you came on our podcast to talk with us about the great work that you're doing. So I'm very excited about this episode and we'll wrap it up there. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Order Up, the podcast from the National Restaurant Association. Follow us on your favorite podcast player and find out more at restaurant.org slash podcasts. Episode produced by Dante32.